Hello and welcome to the Semantic Cybersecurity Brief, our weekly podcast where we discuss all things cybersecurity. I'm Dick O'Brien and joining me today is Semantic Threat Researcher Candid West. In this week's podcast, we'll be talking about how Avast has discovered a second supply chain type attack that uh, involves their CCleaner software, how Amazon Alexa and Google Home could be used to spy on their owners using malicious third-party applications, why the Samsung Galaxy S10 has been banned by some banks due to a buggy fingerprint reader, and how a Chinese cyber espionage group has been targeting SQL servers. But first, some of you may remember an interesting piece of semantic research that was published back in June about an espionage group known as Waterbug, which is also widely known as Turla. And it included details on a number of recent Waterbug attacks, the most interesting of which was that during an attack against one organization in the Middle East, Waterbug appeared to hijack and use the command and control infrastructure belonging to another Iranian-linked espionage group known as Krambus, which is also known as Oil Rig or APT-34. So this was significant. In, uh, it was the first time Symantec had observed one targeted attack group seemingly hijack and use the infrastructure of another group. Uh, the tactic is known as fourth party collection. And to date, as far as we know, only one other vendor, Kaspersky, has found evidence of this happening. So there's been a very interesting development in this story this week because the UK's National Cyber Security Centre and the US National Security Agency, otherwise known as the NSA, released an advisory about Waterbug and it transpires that this hijacking wasn't a one-off by any means. So the joint advisory discusses how two malware tools uh, that are known as Neuron and Nautilus, which were previously widely believed to be linked solely to Waterbug, were actually of Iranian origin and were likely stolen by Waterbug for use in its own attacks. So the advisory builds on and credits the semantic research from June and found that all in all, Waterbug used the Iranian tools and infrastructure to attempt to access government systems, military organizations, universities, and scientific organizations in 35 different countries around the world, but mainly in the Middle East. And to satisfy any questions as to whether there was any degree of collaboration involved, it went on to say that the Iranian group was, quote, almost certainly not aware with, aware of or complicit with Waterbug's use of their implants. So from one uh, tale of uh, espionage to another, because apparently Avast got compromised again, but luckily the attackers didn't manage to compromise their CCleaner tool, which is what happened last time. Candid, you've been reading up about this incident, so can you tell us what happened here? Yeah, so this week Avast came forward that they actually detected signs of breach in their own network. And according to a statement uh, by Avast, the attackers gained access through two compromised VPN accounts, which were set up with, unfortunately, an older template profile that did at the time actually not require the use of two-factor authentication. Uh, It's still unclear how they got the password to begin with. Um, It could be, of course, through phishing or previous data leaks. But of course, not having two-factor definitely helped the attackers here. The CISO, which by the way, just started the new role uh, recently, stated that they feared that the attacker were trying to get again to kind of conduct a supply chain attack. Um, They, of course, checked all the published code and all their signing keys. And luckily, they didn't find any signs of compromise there. But just to be on the safe side, 
they revoked the signing certificates and created new key pairs. And of course, as you mentioned, the fear was of course justified as two years ago, the company Piriform, which were then bought by Avast, uh, were compromised and the popular CCleaner tool was infected with malware. And this was a classical supply chain attack that actually led to 2.3 million users downloading an infected tool and the Asian targeted attack group that is assumed to be behind the attack, uh, at least the one in 2017, later then used the broad access they gained to go off to large companies such as Microsoft, Google, Cisco, and so on. So quite highly targeted. This time, though, the attack was detected and blocked early enough before it could do any damage. The report mentioned that the intruders were highly sophisticated and made sure that uh, no traces were left uh, wherever possible which for me sounds like a manual living off the land um, attack, which is something that we see quite often at the moment. The initial user account that the attacker used did actually not have the main administrative pillar privileges, but according to the report, the attacker used some kind of privilege escalation exploit to gain greater permission. And then of course, starting to enumerate the active directory structure to go further, which probably generated enough alarms for them to get detected. At the moment, um, Avas does not really know if it's the same attacker or not, as in 2017. So they named the entity Abyss for now. God, it really would be quite audacious if it was the same group uh, trying to get in again. Um, did Avas mention how long that this uh, latest attack had been going on? Yeah, so going through the log files, they found indications that the attackers were already trying to log in with the VPN or through the VPN as early as May of this year. So hence, the attack has been going on for quite a while. And this still kind of falls into the average range or maybe slightly faster than usual, as the recent Poneman study actually shows that the average life cycle of a breach in 2019 was 206 days before it gets detected by the victim company. And that does not even mean that they were able to remove it in 206 days. It's just about detection. During the analysis, they also saw that some of the activities were actually locked by the security solutions and even alerted up on. But unfortunately, just like every company, they most likely get flooded with so many lock files. And then the analyst that looked at the alert deemed it as a false positive as the activity actually came from a known VPN IP address. And then unfortunately, they marked it as a non-malicious event. And I guess that's kind of a typical example that shows that on one hand, you definitely need a lot of log files to gain visibility on what is going on in your network, but you also need automation to help you with all those gathered log files. I mean, call it machine learning, artificial intelligence, or just pure simple automation, but it's clear that most companies need help in order to process this or kind of vast majority of all those log files to gather it. And then of course, you also need to make the right decisions upon the information that you have, which is not always trivial. But I guess the whole zero trust and other ideas could definitely help in that direction. And I guess it should also not come as a surprise that security companies are an interesting target for attackers, as they can, of course, open up attack vectors to other targets once they have been successful. Um, I'm, I mean, we have to give kudos to Avast for reacting very transparently talking about it. And I think there will be a few takeaways to be discovered in the aftermath that can definitely help others to prevent similar attacks in their own environment. 
Yeah, I mean, we've said it before, but software supply chain attacks are definitely something to keep an eye on. And I think this is a reminder that they haven't gone away. I know there was a spate of them over the past year or so, but also that um, these attackers are quite determined. And as I said earlier, audacious, the fact that um, the same... Uh, the company software had been targeted before, didn't deter uh, the attackers this time around. Um, you know, you would expect them to be a kind of a difficult target to get into, having the less, the, given the lessons they'd learned the last time around, but that they weren't deterred at all. So it's certainly something to keep an eye on. Um, now, let's move on to the topic of voice assistance, which is something a uh, growing number of people these days have in their homes. And there was a new uh, interesting piece of research from security research labs in Germany that was published this week, which found that it was possible to create malicious applications for Amazon Alexa and Google Home, which managed to clear both Amazon and Google's application vetting processes. So Alexa and Google Home are two of the most widely used voice control assistants, and both can be used with third-party applications known as skills uh, for Alexa or actions for Google Home. And uh, what security research labs did was that they created four malicious applications for each system, which were capable of eavesdropping on the users and phishing their passwords. Uh, Seven of these apps masqueraded as horoscope reading services, while the eighth was disguised as a random number generator. And I don't know why anybody would want to have one of them in their home, but there you are. Um, Candid, this is actually something you've done a fair bit of research uh, yourself in the past on. Was this study uh, something surprising to you? Yeah, unfortunately, it's not surprising. Um, Maybe the surprising part is that it's still working. Um, As you mentioned, I did some research on voice assistance back in 2017 and wrote a report on it. And already there have been a few attacks uh, where you could have a skill, one of those apps that actually kind of mimics and says, oh, yeah, I'm finished now, but then just plays a silent loop um, sound file, which, of course, enables you to listen for further comments or, in that case, just spy on the user. But it means that even now, two years back, um, it's still possible. And, of course, there's new avenues coming as well. Um, Quite recently, we saw that some of the scammers started kind of pushing their own numbers for support uh, organizations up in the Google ranking with uh, the classical search engine optimization tricks. And the idea behind it is that if you use one of those voice assistants like Alexa or Google Home and ask, hey, uh, can you please phone up the support hotline for my smart TV or whatever brand you have, they will actually dial a wrong number because it's just picking the, the most rated and top one that looks legit. And of course, we all know probably you don't phone those uh, hotlines too often. So you don't really think twice if they ask you for some verification codes or maybe you need to have your logins uh, verified or even just moderate maiden name, which could, of course, be let for future attacks. So a lot of information. And yes, I think that's the issue, right? You open up your home And you definitely need to think twice if you want to install one of those random number generation on your voice assistant. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of opens up a whole new kind of field for, for fishing and, and things like that. Now, I should add that after carrying out the research, um, the company reported the malicious apps to Amazon and Google, who have removed them from their stores and changed their applications, approvals, process, processes. So um, hopefully it's going to be harder for these kind of um, apps to make it onto the stores in future. Now, while we're on the subject of the Internet of Things, I was reading this morning, actually, in the register that a Japanese hotel has had to apologise to its customers after it ignored warnings that bedside robots could be used to spy on its guests. Now, the hotel is the Hen Na Hotel, which is owned by hotel chain HIS Group and is apparently staffed entirely by robots, so guests can be checked in either by humanoid or dinosaur reception robots before they proceed to their own room where there's a bedside robot designed to attend to their needs. Candid, have you ever stayed in a robot hotel or would you ever stay in a robot hotel? Well, I definitely haven't. Um, I mean, it sounds intriguing with the dinosaur uh, robot, but as I heard the story, um, I might not be too sure if I want to do it now in the future. Yeah, because, yeah, actually several weeks ago, a security researcher was looking at these robots and warned the hotel uh, that anyone staying there could actually... Uh, themselves physically access the robot's camera and microphones and then hijack them in order to spy on any future guests using that room. So you'd have to stay in the hotel yourself, but once you'd stayed in the room, you could spy on anybody else who stayed in the room after you. And then what happened was the hotel um, failed to respond to the warning. So the researcher uh, then went public about the vulnerability on October 13th. And uh, the HIS group has since apologized to its guests and said that the robots have been updated to prevent any unauthorized access to them. So hopefully for fans of robot hotels, that's the end of that. Um, Now, from robots to biometrics, um, there were um, multiple Android phones recently which have uh, found to have had issues with their biometric login systems. And you've been reading about this, Candid. What's been going on here? Yeah, and this story actually ties into a sound sleep as well, but they discovered uh, some weaknesses uh, in the past in the Google Pixel 4 phone, so that's the new one coming out, and a BBC reporter who got access to a test device noticed that the face unlock feature actually works even if you have your eyes closed. Um, That might not seem like a big issue, as, I mean, it does not allow you to kind of open up the phone if you just print out a picture and use that to unlock the phone. So that's still good. But of course, people might be a bit concerned (laughs) that, um, I mean, you could think maybe a scenario where your spouse will unlock their phone while you are asleep, aka having your eyes closed, and that could lead to some of the privacy of your phone being revealed to someone else. So unfortunately, the Pixel 4 does no longer actually offer fingerprint sensors. So face unlock is the only biometric option that you can choose from, which is, of course, the whole start of the dilemma here um, that we talk about. But Google stated that they are currently working on a fix for that issue. So hopefully we can soon all sleep calm again. Yeah, that brings a whole new meaning to uh, the uh, saying of uh, sleeping with one eye open. Um, But I think you said there was other phones affected by this as well. Yeah, so another one was the Samsung. Um, They had an issue with their unlock feature on various models of the Galaxy S10 range. This time, the issue is actually on the fingerprint reader. Although 
earlier this year, there was already an issue with the face unlock for the Galaxy phone, where a simple video of the real owner played on a second phone was enough to unlock the, the phone in question. But this time, the fingerprint reader issue was discovered by a British couple, and they found out that they could actually unlock their phone with any finger if they use a plastic screen protector in between. So protecting your screen, let the sensor not to con not correctly picking up your finger, and then giving you access by mistake. An earlier statement from the manufacturer said that customers should only use official accessories and approved screen protectors. But I mean, to be honest, I'm not really sure how this would prevent any thief from putting on their own not approved screen protector if they want to unlock a phone that they just stolen. Yeah, this is a little bit worrying, all right, because not only are like um, these screen protectors so widely used, but they're so you know easily obtained. So if a, uh, um, you know if, it, if, it, if your phone falls into the wrong hands, it could be relatively trivial. And having access to someone's smartphone can lead to lots of serious issues. I mean, from reading their messages to hijacking their accounts with two-factor authentication tokens, uh, the list goes on. Absolutely. I mean. That is definitely bad. I mean, no one would really want that their uh, private messages, which could, of course, be embarrassed, be read by someone else. But there's a few more severe things, like uh, if someone can access your mobile phone, uh, there might be a mobile phone banking application on it or any other app that can transfer money. And not all of them have a separate password or PIN code. And some that do actually rely on the fingerprint to approve the transaction which in that case would not really help either, right? So you could definitely lose money if you lose your phone. And I guess that's also the reason why now at least three financial institutes in the UK, uh, like the RBS, announced that they will suspend their mobile phone banking app for Samsung Galaxy 10 customers, at least for a while, because they fear that it could lead to fraud or, I mean, on the other hand, it could also lead to people claiming that it was not their own finger that authorized the transaction. So a lot of hall of problems, right? But the good news is Samsung said that soon they will release an update that should fix this issue. Okay, fingers crossed because it's uh, definitely a popular phone and uh, you know it's kind of bad if your screen protector actually ends up lowering the overall security of your phone. Um, now, there's been lots going on in the news this week and I think we've got time to just discuss one more thing, uh, interesting story, which was uh, about the, the attack group known as Winty, which were recently found to be targeting SQL servers. Um, what is this new trick all about, Candid? Yeah, so Winty is a group that uh, has been around for quite a few years now, and they, they do some interesting tricks, let's say. So ESET reported this week on a new backdoor that they discovered in the arsenal of Winty. The tool itself is similar to previously discussed tools, I mean, using the same packers, the same loader structure, so it's quite fair to say that it's probably from the same group. And the backdoor, uh, which is called Skip 2.0, um, aims at MS SQL servers, but only version 11 and 12, and these are not the newest versions. But still, I mean, quietly used, I'd say. Um, the purpose of the backdoor is to allow the attacker to connect to the database with a specific hard-coded password, regardless of the normal admin password. And then, of course, they can remove any traces of any of the interactions that they did with the database log files. So the backdoor 
comes as a payload module, which is encrypted with RC5. And once decrypted, the inner code reveals a loader that is packed with the same custom packer that we have seen with other payloads before. And this code then searches for a process called sqlserve.exe, which is the common name for MS SQL Server process. And if found, it will inject this skip 2.0's backdoor. The backdoor then starts hooking kind of multiple functions from the SQL Server by reading and kind of patching one of the DLLs in memory. And most of them are actually related to authentication or logging. So the functionality that they are interested in is, of course, as we said, to provide access with a hard-coded password. And then once the, the attacker is in, the function uh, will allow them to do any modification on the database without getting locked um, by the database locking mechanism. And this clearly shows that, of course, databases are in the crosshair of this group as well, and they are quite well capable of creating very specific payloads for such specific targets. Okay, and I guess uh, anyone who's running MS SQL Server then uh, should upgrade to the latest version if it's only um, 11 and 12 that they're targeting. Absolutely. As always, I guess, update to the newest version is definitely something you should do. But of course, also making sure that no other malware can actually reach your uh, SQL servers is something that uh, should be in your security posture. Okay, good advice there. All right, uh, that's all we have time for this week. Um, if you've been enjoying our podcast, don't forget to subscribe to avoid missing out on all of our future weekly episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Threat Intel or Medium on medium.com forward slash threat hyphen Intel. If you'd like to read our latest research, check out our blog, which will be found at semantic.com forward slash blogs forward slash threat hyphen intelligence. We'll be back again next week when we'll be once again looking at what's going on in the world of cybersecurity. But until then, thank you and goodbye.